politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard our liberties. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house. CR podcast, Blaze Media. As always, you could find me on iTunes or anywhere where you get podcasts. Folks, until we're canceled, um, we should be able to be found anywhere. If not, you could always find me at Blaze Media. Now, it is February 17th. And you know what's interesting about today? In 1801, this was the day that the first revolution was cemented. The first revolution in politics, when Thomas Jefferson was declared the winner, obviously it went on very late that election because there was a tie and it went to the House of Representatives between him and Aaron Burr and John Adams. And Jefferson was declared the victor. February 17th, 1801, it was the first bloodless, peaceful revolution in America where there was a transfer of power from the Federalists to the Democratic Republicans. And that is really the question. Are we going to have our own version of a revolution? But the thing is, it actually takes another political party in a movement to have a political revolution. And we don't have one. And this is as I noted yesterday, and I've observed this more throughout the day and and today, looking over these state legislatures. And what is so shocking is that there is no revolution. We've gone for 10 months with these governors and mayors violating basic human rights. We're going to have a special guest today talking about that. People with disabilities and the mass mandate. When the evidence is overwhelming, it doesn't help one iota. Tacitly, they're admitting it. It's the aerosols. They're all saying the aerosols. The cloth masks and surgical masks can't block that. They don't block it. Which is why Osterholm, Biden's top advisor, is now calling for everyone to have a form-fitted N95. We knew it was headed that, that way. But you know what? If you did that, then... There would be a rebellion because people literally couldn't wear that. Then you would have problems. To the extent that they're type that work, not all of them work and not all even not all N95 uh, wearing is done properly. But certainly the other stuff, it doesn't work and it violates every aspect of human dignity. I have so much more information. We'll either get to get to it with our guest Kristen or tomorrow on the mask stuff that just exposes the fraud beyond belief. But very few Republicans in these legislatures will even broach the topic. There's no lawsuit. No one will take a legal case against it. Nothing. We don't have anyone speaking for us. This is the problem. This is why we need to create our own movement. Now, one way of creating a movement is collaborating together we're doing this with our conaction.network. I was privileged to meet many of you out at Front Sight with the Constitution Coach training. And by the way, if you go to constitutioncoach.com, today's sponsor, you guys could sign up for another terrific mix of Constitution and defensive handgun training with the best instructors there, the best Constitution Coach 
for our nightly constitution classes. Rick Green, those of you who missed our February trip, look, if you want to go out in a place where you don't have to wear a mask, you could be with like-minded patriots, you could shoot together, you could study the constitution together. It's the best type of vacation you could have. Go to constitutioncoach.com. The next trip is March 21st. And then five days later, there's another class. There's both two-day and four-day options. I do recommend the four-day training. It is much better. You know, because it's about day two where the training they give you with handling a handgun starts to click and shooting out of a holster. But then you, you know, you go home already. The four-day really prepares you. You could actually take the test and pass the class. Look, if you if you don't have the time, then the two-day is better than nothing. Um, I will not be able to attend that one, but I will be at the May 30th one. So if you want to meet me, wait till May 30th. If you would rather go when it's cooler, pick the March trip. Um, either way, bring out your family. Um, once you're there, they're going to give you some really terrific offers for future trips as well. It's something you want to look at. Um, it, it was just terrific. It, it, there was one moment there. It was just beautiful. It was day four when everyone was already comfortable and we had young and old and people that never handled a firearm and then some that did everyone. And there was one moment where the sun started beating down on the sand dunes behind the targets. And then there was a little bit of a wind. So as we were shooting, it was kicking up this, this dust and it almost looked like a war zone. And it was just a beautiful sight watching so many people, again, families. It wasn't a military training, but a lot of people had never even handled the gun. And they were all shooting out of the holster within two, two and a half seconds from five, seven yards and further. Um, and, and, and just the amount people learned in just that time, it really is the best vacation I've ever had. And I look forward to seeing you guys May 30th or if you want to sign up for March 21st at constitutioncoach.com. Now, folks, what we are seeing is just total distraction across the nation. It's like, yeah, maybe we'll rein in the emergency powers a little bit, but they refuse to talk about the false premise of the science behind lockdowns, behind masks, that it is wrong, it's immoral, it's illegal, it's illogical. Yeah, on top of that, the legislature should get a say, too. But Republicans refuse to talk about that. And it's driving me nuts. We need to pound away at the 31 Republican legislatures. The idea of forcing everyone indefinitely for the rest of their lives everywhere to wear a mask, including children, including people with disabilities, is insane. And the notion that in all 31 Republican legislatures that this is not immediately countermanded is a sick shame and it, and it, and it demonstrates the perfidy of this phony conservative movement and this phony Republican Party. I'm just sick of it. I am totally sick of it. As I said yesterday, the Sydney Morning Herald had an article in, on April 27, 2003, titled The Farce Mask, It's Safe for Only 20 Minutes, where basically the Australian government threatened mask manufacturers who were trying to market their product to people as being effective against SARS-1, 
And they weren't even getting into aerosols back then. Now we know it's all aerosols that spread it where it certainly doesn't work. But even the droplets, they noted that it gets moist after 20 minutes. Certainly most people now are seeing they wear it all day, if not multiple days, without changing it. It's a joke. Everyone knows that. And we now have Osterholm signing on to a letter to the White House noting that CDC is not doing enough to change its policies based on aerosols. Now, the irony is they, they, they miss the fact, oh, so therefore masks don't work. They're basically saying we need N95s or you should never go indoors. Now, in some ways, that's actually more consistent than saying go indoors and wear a stupid cloth or surgical mask or a standard N95 without doing it properly and without a seal. I mean, I really wonder if any of them work. But at least they're consistent. But here's the joke. It's, they all know it's impossible to never go indoors. Even at the height of the March-April lockdowns, a significant number of people were indoors because you couldn't shut everything down. So the virus is going to circulate. So there's nothing you could do anyway. Roughly 35 to 40% of people have gotten the virus, depending on what part of the country. 10% or so of others have gotten the vaccine, which they say is God's gift to the world. So I'm just including that in the efficacy there according to their way of thinking. So it's done. What are you going to stop? What are you going to stop already? This whole thing is a joke. It's all a lie. An utter lie. But folks, this is why we need to pound away at these Republicans. They're not getting pressure in the legislature. They're simply not getting pressure. And until we pressure them, we're going to be on the losing side of this. It's time we shame them. They are destroying a generation of humanity with the psychological, physical, and certainly with children, the developmental speech and language development of the mask mandates. It's got to end. And it's got to end now. So, there's a lot more on the virus we have. Obviously, um, my story yesterday about Florida went viral and the governor of Florida started uh, talking about it as well. The fact that, again, Florida didn't have any of this stuff and did much better than California, Illinois, and New York. It is all a lie. All a lie. Every single thing they use to catalyze revolutionary changes on our life is built upon a lie. George Floyd was built upon a lie. COVID fascism was built upon a lie. January 6th was built upon a lie. Now we know that John Sullivan, the BLM guy, was paid 35000 each. It's from Becker News. Kudos to Kyle Becker for putting this out. 35000 each from CNN. And... Um, NBC to provide footage while he was breaking into the Capitol. And again, he was let go. He was let go while patriots 
are being held without bail, being charged on nothing more than trespassing. Again, we're told this was the most violent, scariest thing ever. Where are the juicy indictments on aggravated assault? I'm not seeing that. Attempted murder. Where are the indictments? Have you ever seen the FBI get so involved in trespassing? Kind of interesting. Interesting indeed. But here we are. Australia went from going after mask manufacturers 17 years ago for SARS-1, the cousin virus of this, for misleading people as somehow masks help, to wrestling women to the ground for not wearing a mask. And now there's a story out of Nine News Melbourne that COVID-19 positive patients are currently being transferred out of the Holiday Inn with garbage bags over their heads. How have we lost our sense of humanity? We, are, we have gone back to the dark ages and we can't find Republicans in legislatures where they have super majorities speaking to this outside of a handful in each chamber. But we need to get those handful together, meet together, and collaborate. Now, folks, before I run this down the river, I wanted to get to our special guest today to talk about the severity of this mandate that that I think all of us have become desensitized to. I don't even like calling it a mask mandate because that sounds very sanitized. It sounds very mechanical. It is the criminalization of human breathing everywhere, all places, all the time, indefinitely, forever. And they're being quite open about the forever part of it. That is what it is. No exceptions. Anyone over the age of two, which is a freaking baby in my book. Um, It's so sad looking at my 10-month-old and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, another year, that beautiful face will be covered up. Well, I mean, not if I could do anything about it. But here's the deal. Here's the deal, deal, folks. There is nothing in life that we have ever done, even something that has amazing evidentiary standards, like, I don't know, eating healthily, diabetes, heart disease. We don't have a machine that shuts off someone's mouth so they can't eat. Ironically, if you did that, you'd be following the science. You know, imagine if you shut off someone's mouth after 2,500 calories per day. That's very scientific. It's not legal. It's inhumane. You don't have a right to do that to another human being. This is as inhumane as it is illogical. So with us today is Kristen Megan. She's worked in the field of occupational environmental toxicology as a senior industrial hygienist for over 18 years. So that means that she has been working long before anyone ever heard of these terms or, you know, virons and this and that. She's been working in the field of public health, um, hazardous materials environments, and she actually sat on infectious disease boards within hospitals and trained medical professionals on universal precautions, avoiding cross-contamination. So you can imagine all the cross-contamination going on where everyone talks while they're touching their mask. And these are the people we're not hearing from enough. 
She spent nine years on active duty where she was um, vaccine injured and blew the whistle on unethical health and environmental hazards. While medically retired from previous field work, Kristen now donates her efforts as a health freedom activist, and she works very closely closely with uh, a Tammy. We had her on from Stand Up Michigan. So she is using her expertise to actually shed light on what is going on. With no further ado, Kristen, it is an honor to welcome you to see our podcast today. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for allowing me a platform to speak the absolute truth as a subject matter expert on this very issue plaguing the entire world. The entire world, and, and, and that's what it is. So, you know, I just... I just want to start with this. We could probably go anywhere and talk for three hours about every facet of this. But I mentioned at the top of the hour, Australia, an article that's been circulating on on the web. Some of my friends have dug it up. In 2003, the Australian government was actually threatening to fine mask manufacturers for misleading people and giving them the impression that somehow masks could stop SARS-1. They didn't even get into the aerosols, but they were saying even for the droplets, you know, after 20 minutes, it becomes moist. Uh, Stop telling people this. It's nonsense. And it's just shocking how that very same country is now putting garbage bags on people who leave the quarantine hotels. They're wrestling women to the ground who don't wear them. How in the world did we get to this point? And are you seeing other people in the profession that work with OSHA guidance, that work with PPE, that are blowing the whistle, or are you in the minority? Um, I'm a public minority, but not a minority in the sense that people in my career field know this is wrong. What you're dealing with is that I, you know, just like Tammy was on here, we both work for ourselves. Um, we're consultants and I'm semi-retired and I worked, you know, for the government, uh, the VA, I've worked for huge companies. And I can tell you that if I still worked for somebody else, I may also be in the same boat as other people in my profession. It's not that they don't believe it. They know if they speak up, they're going to lose that six figure income. And while I, I see that issue, I would have to walk away. There's no way I could be pushing um, masks on the average lay person, knowing what I know, and it defies laws, ethics, science um, of my profession since the 1970s. So, no, I'm not a minority. It's just not everyone has the selfless ability to come forward because it would impact their families, and not everyone is set up like those of us that are speaking up. No, I mean, and that that's what it really seems like at this point. A lot of people deep down understand that even if there was a thought that it might have worked in March and April, the fact that we're still panicked about it months later demonstrates it doesn't work, but they're more scared of fellow man than the virus. And I think that's what we're all struggling with. How do we ever break out of this? Um, Before we get to maybe some solutions, some ideas, I want to talk about the severity of this. So um, what, what I was struck by is that as, as illogical as wearing a mask to block viral particles seems, the first few weeks that this came about, it came about in a logical way, meaning as logical as you can be. The goal was illogical. The means was illogical. But we, we did in a way, look, if you have health problems, you're exempt. And all states had that. I know in my state of Maryland, it was like that. And I was like, OK, all things equal. Try to wear it. Um, but it, it wasn't like every person everywhere, if not, you'll be shamed, you'll be po- possibly arrested, and you'll be denied your humanity, denied services. 
Um, if you could talk a little bit about you, you personally have a little bit of a disability and has, have you been able to use that and say, look, you know, I can't cover my mouth or have you been treated like everyone else? Have we been following the ADA? Um, yeah. Um, just a little warning to any of your viewers that are, um, victims of sexual assault, this could be triggering to you. Um, my story to very short and not specific. Um, yeah, so I spent nine years in the Air Force and on active duty. I survived a very, I mean, all sexual assaults are violent, but very violent sexual assault that's left me actually permanently damaged. And um, during that assault, um, yes, I had a bar towel covering my face during my attack. And not only do, do I see people just wearing masks nonstop kind of trigger me, but I cannot wear a face covering. And in my profession, I've had to wear SCBAs, like firefighters wear, the self-contained breathing apparatuses. I've, wear, I've worn N95s, full-face respirators. I've worn every kind of respiratory protection that you can think of. But there came a point where I was having panic attacks, and it was, it was just, it, it's not, I'm not able, able to do it. And I've actually held an exemption since 2013. Now, I bring that up because I know that mask wearing is new to the general population. And what that's done is it's made these, these uh, armchair you know, experts all of a sudden know all about masks and what can exempt you. Meanwhile, I'm the one that's been fielding those exemptions for 18 years. So to answer your question, given that background is, yes, I have a disability, PTSD, and I cannot cover my face. Um, locally, I really don't have many issues. I can go to the grocery store. I can go to many places and I actually don't, I'm not required to. I wear a lanyard that signifies I'm a disabled veteran. Please don't ask why I can't mask. No issue. Um, but now there's been places where I've traveled around the country, actually going around, donating my time, speaking out about masks. And I can tell you the worst place that I ever had discrimination was in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, there's a giant casino there and also at the heart, um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. See, the problem is, is that you have given people all of a sudden this power, this power to just implement these unjust rules and discriminatory law, um, practices. And I need, I need your listeners to understand that, you know, there's a difference between medical intolerance and a disability. And when you have a disability and you have the American disability uh, protection, you know, you have to either, um, you can be denied service if you are asking for like, you can request a reasonable accommodation. And there's three things I need people to understand. So when you are asking for reasonable modification, um, you, they can't deny you if you're asking for a fundamental alteration, which would be, for example, let's go back to local, okay? Planet Fitness here, here in Michigan, there's a Planet Fitness location. And I'm gonna put them on blast here. Um, they won't let me in. And fundamental alteration would be me asking them to bring the weight to my house, okay? That's not, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Or an undue burden. Hey, shut down your whole gym for me because I want to come in. And the last one is a direct threat. And that's the string that all these businesses are holding on to. They're saying, you can't wear a mask, you're a direct threat. The problem is, is we're in new territory. But what the law says under ADA is that that burden of proof of you saying I'm a direct threat falls on the business. And yes. it, there's already case precedent says you can't speculate that I'm sick. Um, so that's the problem here. So yes, I have been denied entry. I've had panic attacks in public. They're humiliating. I've also been to businesses. I went into, um, I was down in Miami, Florida, and they denied me entry into a, an apartment building we were staying at. And the doorman asked for proof of my disability. So that's not a thing. I mean, I'm a pretty thick skinned individual, but again, we're having people acting outside their scope of um, their experience and they're not understanding the laws. You can't ask for proof and you also can't shame people in public. Um, 
you know, I have to kind of give a pro con here. I was flying down to uh, Miami and um, so, the, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you talk about traveling. So the big blockade is airports, airlines um, and even someone like you with given your background, the situation that happened, there are no exceptions, no exceptions whatsoever. And now it's being promulgated by executive order. There are no lawsuits, which is shocking. Um, so that's the question. What do people with disabilities do? They can never fly for the rest of their lives. Well, back in December, I was allowed to fly on Delta. Delta and I believe uh, Hawaiian Airlines were the only two airlines that allowed for medical exemptions. Now, why I appreciate that, um, I had to stand, you know, when you go to check in and get your ticketing, I had to stand there and talk to an on-call doctor. By the way, I need to point out that not all doctors, actually most doctors, aren't even qualified to understand what exempts people from wearing respiratory protection. But I had to talk to a healthcare individual. I didn't even know their credentials. And I had to, in public, go into detail of my assault and explain why I could not wear a mask having a full-blown panic attack in front of Tammy and this, <laughs> this gate agent. And, you know, they did. They let me fly without a mask. Um, but I had to go through that. And I didn't have to. But had I not been traveling for the reason I did help other people, I would have just walked away. But I have noticed that since, you know, Biden's 100-day mask um, little program he's got going on and him dabbling into the federal requirement when you're on federal property, actually more airlines are allowing for the ADA exemptions. But what's also, again, unnerving is that they want medical documentation and they want a negative COVID test. And this is not all airlines. I know that American Airlines is one of them. And then you have another airline that's an overseas airline. It's an Asian airline. They are allowing their premier or their first class customers to remove their masks as long as they recline. And you see how this is basic. This is a poster child for junk science because you have people that are just making improper hazard assessments. And now if, you, if you're privileged and you can fly first class on this airline, well, by golly, you can take that mask off. And, and also when you eat, like you've worked, worked in hazardous environments and dealt with PPE. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're dealing with like dust particulates that are could have toxins in, in them, you don't sit in, hey, um, now it's an eating break. Right. And then touch it and then pull it back up. No, you know, that's what's so dangerous about all these mask mandates is I always try to um, kind of dumb it down to people. Think of pre-COVID, you know, people that carry kind of like, you know, you know the elderly people carry those handkerchiefs around and they put them back in their pockets. Um, but you're carrying around a Kleenex or a tissue and you're blowing your nose. If you were to set that on a table, people would be like, oh, my gosh, you're so gross. Throw that away. <laughs> but that's what people are doing with their masks. They, they do they it at Senate hearings. At Senate yes. hearings. I don't know if you saw the CDC director or former CDC director Redfield. He was he when he said, this is my protection. It's better than a vaccine. He held mm -hmm. it up and he put it back on and he put it on the table. And then he you know, that that's the one he picked up and walked out with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I watch here in Michigan, you know, we've got the real great government set up here. Uh, and um, our former uh, uh, Health and Human Services director recently just resigned. But when he was doing his press conferences, my husband, who's a public health specialist, we used to count how many times he would touch his mask or put it on the podium that everyone else before him put on the podium. So cross-contamination and self-contamination is a major issue. But, you know, there's oh there's so many debates here i mean you talk about i mean it's a fact and anyone i'll debate anyone that masks are not able to stop a virus in either direction and 
then you have to go into the whole aspect like we're discussing now, which is disability rights. And again, you have, it's all about selective science. This is absolutely not about health and safety. Um, this is all about control. Um, and it's, it's been made political, which it should not be. But I, I get very upset when I see people like the teens on TikTok or just the general media. Not only are they shaming people who don't wear masks, um, it's just it's nobody's job when you see somebody not wearing a mask. It's not your job to ask them why they're not wearing yep. a mask or where their mask is. You would never ask someone in a wheelchair, can you really not stand? I mean, we have to stop being selective about which disability is worse. You know, it's not it's not a game or competition. No one wants to have any um, be differently abled or disabled. And just so people understand, I I don't just have PTSD. I'm actually rated as a hundred percent totally and disabled veteran. Uh, for a multitude of issues. So I am protected under this law. And it just so happens that I go around and I deal with some of this discrimination. And I also happen to be an expert on the PPE that's trying to be mandated. One point I do want to make is that I will stand corrected, but I've yet to see a mask mandate that does not include some sort of medical exemption, whether they're ridiculous and we have two reasons. The point is most of these have medical exemptions. So when these private businesses and entities decide that they're going to go above and beyond when they've already been handed a gift to not be held liable, um, that's where I find a problem. So we have a giant hospital here in West Michigan, and I had a surgery and had to go to physical therapy. They denied me entry because I could not wear a mask, and I did go a legal route, and I, I can say that I can go now. I can go without a mask, and I was told it's just, it is just a misunderstanding. It's not a misunderstanding. See, the state has allowed you to be not held liable if you have people in your establishment without a mask, because it's not your job to police everyone. So when you make it, uh, you're creating your own burden by going above and beyond. I think that there's nothing wrong with somebody asking, hey, have you been around someone who's sick? Do you have a fever? I personally have no problem answering those. But even then again, what are we doing? I mean, we're, we're taking away the autonomous ability to make decisions for ourselves. I personally pre-COVID or not, if I have a fever and I'm really sick, I'm not going to go to a grocery store. And, and, and then likewise, there is no consideration as to whether you even had it already. We're at, at a point where around 35% of people have had it already, and that seems not to factor into this. So this is indefinite. Um, but then you're, you're right. I mean, technically, the exemptions do exist in these edicts. I mean, they're not laws or edicts. But in practice, it seems like it's just categorical and nobody cares. So when you walk around, can you just describe in general, they're like, you know, how does it play out? Ma'am, put your mask on. So what do you typically say and what, what's the response? Well, to be honest, I am rarely ever asked to put on a mask. I, like I said, I wear a lanyard, which is my choice that says uh, can't mask, don't ask, legally protected disabled veteran. And nobody says anything to me. Where I've been actually... Um, Wait, where do you live? I want to go there. (laughs) I I live in West Michigan. Um, But it's also how you carry yourself. You know, I just go in there like I'm doing my thing and I own the place. You know, I mean, I just live my life and I'm not coughing or sneezing. And, you know, the the recovery of this virus is a whole different debate. But um, I do, like I said, when I was in Cleveland, Ohio, again, I'm still wearing my lanyard. And I have to point out, too. That I, at times, for short terms, if anyone has seen those transparent mouth shields, I can, I can don one of those put on. I can put on one of those for short periods of time. So if it's like a quick trip and I, I don't want to deal with anything, while I don't personally agree with it, I'm medically able to wear that. 
So there's times where places absolutely won't let me in without anything. And I'm like, but I have this transparent mouth shield. Can this count as my reasonable modification? And they just say, no, it's just no, it's black and white. No. And that is not how it works, folks. Because under ADA protection, you cannot just be denied entry into an establishment. You have the, you have the same rights as everyone else to equal access to services and goods. And my problem is, is all these people saying that they are accommodating disabled, the curbside parking, that's great. It is. But when you are trying to accommodate a disabled person, you do not know what their disability is. I have a friend that has an insane amount of food allergies um, from their autistic child. So they can't go into the mask because the autistic child can't wear one, but they can't shop online because they don't put on, on their website what's, what all the ingredients are. So, I mean, it's not a reasonable accommodation. Um, and I know when this first started, do you remember when, gro I know a lot of grocery stores around this country early in the morning had it just be for the immunocompromised yeah. or the, or the um, elderly. That, those, that's gone now. And, and it's just, it's blowing my mind that people are not, okay, let me just dial back for a second. If you go pre-COVID and you look, when especially teenagers in schools, they push anti-bullying, they push all these mental health programs. Of course, and we, they're we all have into this mental constant health. Narrative. Yes, we have this constant narrative of how mental health is, is a crisis in this country. But what we've done is we've doubled that issue because you have an increase in suicides. You have people who are shamed. Like I said, I'm very thick skinned, but I have people who are also have a similar issue that I do that can't wear a mask and they don't leave their house. And it, it's awful. You feel, I honestly, I feel I'm on probation. I say I'm on house arrest because I live in Michigan. So even places I can try to go to, half the things are shut down. Mm. But we can't sit here and parade around pushing this full health and safety culture and including mental health, lumping it in, and then turning around and being the root cause for a major decrease in mental health um, in this country. It's just, we are, we are doing things so out of order. We are being uh, contradictory to our own policies and we are the problem. Our government is the problem. So we're talking a lot about going into a store as a patron, a consumer, a half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe, um, unless it's a plane ride. But then there's what I think is the more serious issue that hasn't been discussed enough. And those are employees. I mean, people that are working eight, 10 hour shifts and whatever they're doing. And, you know, so look, I hate it. But if I'm forced to, for now, I know I'm, one person is not gonna make a difference. And I know some people might, you know, be disappointed in me. And I have a lot of brave listeners that will never wear it. Um, I'll try to get away with it as much as I can. My kids, I always have not wear it. Um, but all right, you know, you go into a store really quickly, I'll put on a paper thin cloth that my my wife made. And whatever. But the problem arises when you have to work eight, 10 hours, sometimes in hot conditions with the thing on your face. Could you talk to a little bit pre COVID what OSHA would have to say about that and PPE and, you know, the sort of environment that you have to create for your employees? Well, it's important to note that one year ago today, pre COVID, um, if any employer put their employees in a mask to protect them against a virus, that would probably be a willful or serious violation with major fines. Because to put, when you say in a workplace, remember OSHA only governs the workplace, not the customers, but the employees. Yep. When you, when you are claiming that there is a hazard and we are viewing COVID primarily as an inhalation hazard, would you agree? Exactly. Yeah. So with that said, 
when you are saying you have to cover your face, your, your mouth and your nose with respiratory protection, I don't care what OSHA tells you. It is PPE. It's personal protective equipment. And you are wearing the wrong PPE. So that violates a major, the whole respiratory protection law that's been on the books since 1979. Because to put somebody in respiratory protection, this is what is so important. And you may have seen the article that's been fielding around about how just now they're, they're actually reaching out to occupational scientists. And that's part of my field. We've been screaming about something called the hierarchy of safety and controls. What I'm getting at here is you cannot in any facet of a workplace just put people in respiratory protection. You have to have somebody come in, whether it's you have an industrial hygienist like me embedded in your workplace or contracted out, you have to conduct a health risk assessment specific to tasks, not even the building, the task, the job. You conduct a health risk assessment and you determine what other controls are needed to lower that hazard. Engineering hazard, hazards are at the very top of that. And just now, a year later, we're now talking about engineering controls. An example of those engineering controls outside of the plexiglass um, that we already have out there is governing ASHRAE standards. ASHRAE standards are standards that are um, involve architects and engineers and HVAC personnel to determine like how many air exchanges per hour, which direction should the air flow, which filters should we need. And they do calculations. So just so you know, we'll just use an example. If someone is standing around, say, hexavalent chromium on aircraft parts or something, that's carcinogenic. I don't just put people in respirators. I go in and I put in capture ventilation. I try to make it more comfortable for the worker because we know that putting them in respiratory protection can decrease oxygen and then decrease production. So again, if your engineering controls aren't there, then you have administrative controls, which would be worker rotation, doing the task less time. So you're in the mask and respirator less time. So I know that's a little bit confusing, but when you understand that you were required to do a health risk assessment and follow that hierarchy, you can't go straight. It's no different than when you have something wrong with your body. You don't just get surgery right away. Yep. You try physical, uh, physical therapy. No, we just put everyone in masks, which goes against every single OSHA law that's existed on the books. And I'll just give you one example. Actually, I believe it was last February or March. I think it was in Ohio. There was a home health care system, you know, where people go home and deal with people that have pick lines or you know, on hospice, they go into their homes. That healthcare facility put their nurses and their employees in N95 respirators because who told us that N95s can do the best, right? It was, it was Fauci, it was the government. Except OSHA came in and said, oh, I'm sorry, here's your almost $14,000 fine because you put your employees in respiratory protection without training them, fit testing them, putting them through a medical clearance, which involved filling out a questionnaire and possibly seeing a doctor if there's any red flags. And they just defied the whole respiratory protection program, even though they had good intentions. Because you're dealing with um, different businesses that have never really had to deal with a lot of OSHA laws, but now everyone, the, the, the schools, you know, the little craft store, everyone's impacted. So this is why my mind spins around, because one year ago today, if we did what we would do now, OSHA, my goodness, they'd be the new trillionaires. <laughs> you know, because all the all the all the politicians would be driving driving Teslas because the amount of revenue generation they'd be getting from the fines. But OSHA is completely guilty of revisionism, and they've been weaponized, and that is very sad. It's absolutely sad that you can somehow strong arm people in my career field to execute um, rules and guidance that, again, is not law, has to be passed by the uh, you know the federal government. Um, for what I believe is just revenue generation. I mean, when you shut down businesses, you can't, you know, you can't obtain any more OSHA fines. 
And that is completely sad if people can't see the bigger picture there. So what you're saying is interesting here that they've created their own new distinction outside of law. Typically, it's all or nothing. You have to have evidentiary standards. Well, what works? Oh, so this is the environment. This is what you're up against. This works. And therefore, you wear it. But now, that protection itself creates hazards. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have different shifts. We're going to have different breaks, right? Because the two work inversely. By definition, if it works, it's cutting off your air supply. If it doesn't cut off your air supply, it doesn't work. If it does cut it off, well, it works, but then you have other problems and you have to work around that. So they created this own thing. Well, you just put on a random cloth and yeah, everyone does it. No exceptions, but no training, no proper PPE. And then of course it doesn't work. So now we have an interesting thing going on here. The St. This uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune has an article out today that Michael Osterholm, who is pretty much Biden's top advisor on this, he wrote a letter together with a couple of other, you know, uh, pseudoscientists, and they actually recognize the truth partially, but then as always, they miss the premise. So they're starting to see like, oh, whoops, it's not working. So they wrote a letter criticizing CDC for downplaying the contribution of the aerosol particulates, you know, because they're just focusing on droplets when they we know they drop to the ground. They don't really do much um, and, unless you're holding an infant. You know, I have an infant, so they'll sneeze in your mouth and maybe it will get in your mouth. But rarely does a human droplet get in your mouth. It's the aerosols and the masks don't work for aerosols. Now, rather than saying so, therefore, there's nothing you can do as a nation to stop the spread of something that already spread to 35 percent of the people and has spread in every single country, no matter what you do, they're now pushing for more indoor ventilation, basically trying to limit indoor occupancy at all, and more wearing of N95 respirators. Now, I want to get your comment on that in general, but I also want specifically N95s. I haven't talked a lot about that. And the reason I haven't is because very few people wear them, and they certainly don't don't wear them form-fitted, And if they did, there would be a rebellion because people couldn't handle them. So what they are wearing certainly doesn't work, and that was obvious. But let's just indulge that. Is there evidence that even N95s in all situations work against viruses? Okay, so I'm actually glad that you brought this up because I just want to dial back to where I said masks are absolutely unable to protect a virus in either direction. I say that because, yes, I'm very aware that masks can stop large particulates, you know, sputum, spit. I know that. But what I need people to understand that in my profession as a senior industrial hygienist, for two years alone, just for two years, I studied the movement of air. Very boring. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. studying aerosolization, particulates, I, plotting hazards, radiation, how things move that we cannot see. And what we can't see are these tiny virons. The micron size is so small. So when I say these masks can't work, I am also going to say that N95s, do not have the full ability. And do you want to know why? Well, first of all, when I say an N95, you need to understand the science that when you're wearing an N95 respirator, you've been medically cleared, you're clean shaven, you've been fit tested. And a little side note here, in healthcare settings, when I've had to fit test people for uh, N95, they don't always pass the fit test. It, air is leaking. So I have to actually switch brands. Hmm. And they're not one size fits all. There's different sizes. So there's a lot going into this, just like trying on a shoe. So yes, and 95, the 95 comes from it has a 95% chance of basically collecting um, particulates. 
But N95s work so different than surgical masks and ear loop masks because you have the mechanical filtration of, yes, you're inhaling, so it's going to draw air towards the outside of the respirator because it's a respirator. But they use electrostatic charge. So N95s have this ability for the particulates to stick and draw them towards the mask. And this is why in any setting, whether it's medical or industrial N95, you can really only wear it, I'd say comfortably max five hours, which mm. they're not even usually worn that long. And the reason is because they lose their efficacy. They lose their ability to protect the, um, the particles from going through or through the sides or anything because it loses that charge. So when you are bringing up how this virus is aerosolized, that's exactly what people in my profession are screaming. These masks do not work because of the fact that you are not wearing a tight-fitting respirator, clean-shaven, with a fit test. And these are such small virons. Yes, they, when you study ambient air, when you're talking about these engineering controls, these engineering controls exist. For example, I'm the person that goes into electrical um, suites, and I go into isolation rooms, and I go in there with equipment, and I check the airflow, and I work with HVAC people, and we make sure there's so many air exchanges per hour. That's because when you're lifting things away from the breathing zone and you're lifting it up when it's above your head, you're not breathing it in as much. And that's what people need to understand. If you're wearing a cloth mask and you cough, it's still going out the sides or straight through the front, the front and someone walks right by you, they can carry that. You have to understand the movement of air. It's actually, it's a full on science when you're dealing with health hazards. This is the basics of my profession. And this is my issue. We are the subject matter experts. We study the most boring aspects of science. Most people never cared about until now. So this is why I'm telling people just take them off. But but I think what confuses people, and if you could explain this a little bit, is let's say I say, you know, you have to wear a Mickey Mouse costume. So, you know, people would say, okay, that there's no precedent for that. Mm-hmm. But masks and PPE do exist. So I think that's what confused people. Oh, I'm protected. But they, but they didn't understand the distinction of what it protects you for. So talk about your experience. What sort of environments would an N95 or maybe even a surgical mask help for? What sorts of things, what sorts of professions, and how is that distinct from protecting against a ubiquitous um, respiratory virus? So N95s, so when you, like again, when you're saying there's a health hazard, it's an inhalation hazard. It's people in my profession that select the, the adequate type of PPE. So an N95 is the most basic. It offers the lowest protection. So respirators have something called a protection factor and a fit factor, meaning N95s are most likely used in situations where you have a nuisance dust, say in an industrial setting, people working around concrete or just have a lot of debris, but in that debris could be unknown, then an N95 would work. But just so you know, before anyone is put in a respirator, I've conducted air sampling to determine what I'm protecting them from. So that's why I can't just say like black and white. But in in an N95, yes, it can protect certain things. So in healthcare settings, in isolation rooms, I would put the people that register patients and nutrition services, I would put them in N95s because of their exposure time. So they would be around an infected patient, but they're not like right in their face. The people that were in their face or performing surgeries on the infectious disease patients, I put them in respiratory protection, very high level, called a CAPR and a PAPR, controlled air purifying respirator and a powered air purifying respirator. You may have seen these on TV, on the doctor in Grey's Anatomy. They look like little bubbles. Are, are those the That's things like, like yeah, in the movies you see, in the, like, like the labs? Contagion, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so the main point here that I, I always 
try to, you know, not in a condescending way, but just dumb things down for people. It's no different than a glove. So there's a lot of people now, you know, that are all obsessed with making these tumbler cups and different things using epoxy. It's very hazardous and they're not even wearing the right forms of respiratory protection. So if you're wearing gloves, you know that I hope by common sense, you can't just wear, you know, a snow glove and think it's going to protect you from an acid bath if you're doing some sort of industrial work. See, gloves have breakthrough times. Gloves have to fit a certain way. Sometimes they go to your wrist. Sometimes they go all the way up your arm. So nothing's one size fits all because there's different forms of PPE for different hazards. And yes, people have been wearing masks and respirators for years, especially in healthcare. And I think that's what confuses the general public. But when you see doctors wearing surgical masks or ear loop masks, that has nothing to do with a virus. That is to keep large particulates of bacterium out of the patient during sutures or surgeries, out of the body cavity. And if you look into the studies, which have been around for many years, it has caused adverse events to the wearer, meaning they have complained of headaches, mm. being lightheaded. And if they touch that mask one time during surgery, one <laughs> time, they have to have a nurse help them or another colleague help them change it out because they cannot touch it. So when people say, well, these people are wearing it, also it's important to understand that they're wearing them in controlled environments. They have different oxygen levels because of anesthetic gases. They have different air exchangers, temperatures. It's not the same thing as asking someone who is, you know, working outside and a lawn care worker working by themselves in 90 degree heat. You know, this, this is just asinine. It's, it's not, and you're, you're making a bigger point here. And this is what I've also, Tammy and I have been screaming about. I, I, I work with MDs all the time. I work with doctors. I've worked with them my entire career. We work in tandem as a multidisciplinary uh, approach. But the media, unlike you, thankfully, the media is just interviewing doctors. Yes. They're interviewing nurses. But these people, there's a very small few. They're not even saying, oh, by the way, there's industrial hygienists or environmental health and safety professionals that tell us what to wear because they've come in and done air sampling during surgeries or, you know, just done health risk assessments. They don't say that. They've hijacked and went outside their lane and just kind of pushed yep. us to the side. But what I can tell you, it's fact. I'm credentialed as an expert witness in litigation with these issues in a court of law. No, no nurse, no doctor is going to come on and tell you that you're wearing the wrong type of PPE. Because if you ask any doctor right now, what type of respiratory protection do I wear if I'm going to deal with asbestos? What type of respiratory protection should I wear if I'm dealing with transite because I'm moving, uh, you know, I'm relaying uh, asphalt, things like that. They don't know. No, and that's it, not being it, negative. No, no. It's the the answer is, as long as you're wearing your Biden bumper sticker. It, it's it's a, it, <laughs> no, no, that's really what it is. And and this is what shocks me. So So they're wearing medical grade PPE. And if you come in now, you you cannot get me medical care if you don't wear a mask. You cannot get medical care. And by definition, most people who need it are people that have issues and they have other issues. And it's very sensitive. You can have someone towards the end of their life and you literally will smother their face. And what shocks me is they're there with their medical grade PPE. But if you don't wear your thing, so then... It doesn't work, evidently. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's so efficacious that we have to humiliate and violate disabilities to make you wear it. Um, but if you're not, then my thing is not efficacious. But the minute you wear the lowest level, a homemade cloth mask, you're good to go. You'll be admitted. And then somehow their medical grade PPE retroactively now works. It's mentally ill. 
But to, to, to speak to what you're saying, I'm reading right now the California Department of Health, and this is really every Department of Health, They to this day, unless they took it down, they have a page for wildfires and smoke inhalation because out west it's a big issue. Mm-hmm. And they, they talked about it, again, pre-COVID, before when we actually looked at science and it wasn't politicized. Mask use may give the wearer a false sense of security, which they're, they're talking about wildfires, which might encourage too much physical activity and time spent outdoors um, during, during the fire. Quote, also wearing a mask may actually be harmful to some people with heart or lung disease because it can make the lungs work harder to breathe. And they recommend against using face masks in these areas that have a lot of smoking from the wildfires. All over the West, Montana, Idaho, um, Colorado, Utah, all of them, they say the same thing. They do not work um, some of them indulge in N95. They, they, you know, EP, EPA's uh, guidance here. I'm reading on smoke inhalation. They advise people to stay home. If you go out, masks don't work. But except for quote a tight fitting N95 or P100 re- respirator. Um, and and cor- correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding was that smoke particles are usually about one micron. So I guess um. Uh, what what is that? A thousand uh, uh, nanometers, whatever you call that. Whereas the the uh, virons are more like a hundred or or point one, so it's one tenth the size of smoke particles. Yeah, that's the biggest problem that you're talking about. Is that you know it's called uh, nanometers, basically, or, or microns. So when you're talking about false sense of security, this is what I'm talking about. Nothing is one size fits all because certain masks and respirators are able to protect against certain contaminants. And this is why you see firefighters and self-contained breathing apparatuses. And I believe that, you know, smoke particulates and also it just depends on what is on fire causing the smoke that plays a part in it is 2.5. And when you look at the ability of what cloth masks and even an N95 can filter, you have to look at it to limitations. So I just want to dial back to when we talked about OSHA. One thing I really need to uh, point out, because this is also what confuses the public, I see this on Twitter all the time. So under OSHA law, there's a difference between masks and respirators. And when people think respirators, I think like the big rubber uh, polymer type of respiratory protection, and they think that um, N95s are masks. No, they're actually respirators. But the cloth mask, surgical mask, um, ear loop mask, those are just masks. Now the OSHA law says these are not considered respirators. They're not considered respirators because they don't have the ability to filter out hazardous materials. They're known as a form of comfort, and they're known as to keep out nuisance dust, okay? And that's because people have individual sensitivities, like allergies to people mowing their lawns, different things. So even under OSHA law, if I worked in a company where someone said, I really just want to wear a mask because when I'm doing this, this stuff, you know, it's really aggravating me, even though it's not a health hazard to the rest of the world, people can have individual sensitivities. Under OSHA law, I don't have to fit test them. I don't have to give them a medical clearance, but I have to train them and I have to enroll them in a written respiratory protection program. And on an annual basis, I have to make sure that they understand the storage, limitations, usage, cleaning of that mask. Mm. Another aspect of the OSHA law, there's a whole OSHA law on PPE. And what blows my mind now is that we're telling people, oh, there's a virus, it's very deadly, and you have to wear a mask. 
Well, that's, that's such a blanket statement. It's so irresponsible. But an employer under the OSHA law that covers PPE, if I worked at a business, I have to make sure that the cloth masks that people are bringing in are able to actually protect. It's my responsibility to make sure that that's able to protect them. So again, a year ago today, if this were happening, if anyone got COVID and I said, you can wear that mask, I, I'm, I can actually be civilly sued for approving incorrect PPE. There's so many different avenues here that violate existing laws, that violate the most basic science that's existed since the 70s. But what I need people to understand is I know that science is ever changing, but you're exactly right. In my profession, the science is really hardly settled because we constantly verify the confidence and the controls we put in place, and we constantly verify existing science. So when I tell you the science has existed for over 40 years, I'm not saying it's 40 years old. I'm saying it's continually proven correct. And everything we're doing goes against that science. Exactly. And we started off with certain preconceived notions and research um, and Fauci and these guys went with that initially. And then suddenly when it became political, they flipped. And then the last 10 months of learned experience shows that the original research was right. One of the points I wanted to get from you is, look, I don't like doing what the other side does and proving, you know, taking correlation and proving causation. But, you know, all these people from Jerome Adams and, and Osterholm and Fauci, all these guys said clearly that you don't wear it properly. You have civilians you know, misusing PPE and wearing the wrong thing at the wrong time, the wrong way. You're going to wind up touching it more. And they actually said there's a threat. You're going to spread it more. And, you know, everyone kind of forgot about that. But here we are. And I'm not an expert on the science, but I've been a part of a group of people that have very carefully studied data and that anyone could just look at. And no matter how you parse it, every time you compare places that had a mask mandate versus not having it, times of period, periods of time when they that area had a mask mandate versus the time they didn't have the mask mandate, and you adjust for population density, and we've done this in Florida, we've done this nationwide, there appears to always be a slightly higher rate of cases where they have a mask mandate. Now, to, to me, that's not enough to prove it. I'm not going to do like they do the other way around. But it really makes me wonder when I literally see everyone when they want to talk to you, what do they do? They grab the mask and talk. They take it out of their pocket. I see surgeons that I know using it, like taken out of their pocket. To me, it's inconceivable there's not more of a fomite transmission going on there. Absolutely. And when I talk about the requirements of the respiratory protection program, especially healthcare workers, healthcare workers should know how to properly dispose of their mask and respirators. They, that's why they know they can get written up, actually, if they touch their mask. And if you just watch anyone giving a press conference, they're constantly touching the mask. And when they go out to eat and they have to wear their mask to the table, they set it on the table. <laughs> But if this was a Band-Aid, you know, people have this, you know, maybe it's the movies. When we see blood, it grosses us out more instead of seeing spit for most people. But when you're dealing with the vector or route of entry, route of exposure, bodily fluids can still spread some of the same um, illnesses, whether it's blood, fecal matter, or just spit. So 
if I were to walk around and just carry like a bandage or bandaid and just take it off and just set it on a table, people would be absolutely disgusted. But we've normalized <laughs> these masks to a point where everyone is just saying is following what the media is pushing. Everyone is just doing what the white coats say without realizing there's actually a profession that exists that manages all of this. Um, I just realized, I just want to make this correction on myself. When we were talking, um, I was closing my eyes, calculating um, the smoke size. I think I said nanometer. I meant micrometer. When you're looking yes, at yes. the ability of masks to filter out, you know, it's UM. So I, so, I so, so, two, I well, well, so let me just be clear for people. <laughs> you are saying 2.5. And then am I correct that on average, the SARS-CoV-2 virons would be like 0.1. So that's 125th. Am I correct? Yeah. 0.125. Yes. Yeah. So that, and, and that is micrometers. My, micrometers. So, so, so it would be a yeah, 20th. I, I'm used to dealing. Yeah. So maybe like a 20th, right? Calculation. So, but, but I mean, just in yeah. terms that matter to people, <clears throat> the virions of the virus would likely be, let's say 20 times smaller than smoke particles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And the smoke particles Absolutely. is what every single Western department of health to this day say that surgical masks, much less cloth masks, do not work. The EPA has the same guidance um, with regard to smoke, and I believe OSHA does too. Um, this is this is truly, truly unbelievable that we've allowed this to go on this long um, with such lying. I know that when OSHA gave their guidance for respiratory protection for workers exposed um, to people with the virus, it stated clearly... Um, You know, this was on April 3rd. So April 3rd is before it became political like it did recently and they changed their guidance. They said that a lot all they said that forms of airborne contamination such as smoke inhalation. So for, for those things, quote, surgical masks and eye protection were provided as an interim measure to protect against splashes and large droplets, and then in parentheses, they write, note, surgical masks are not respirators and do not provide protection against aerosol-generating procedures, in parentheses, period, end quote. That's their April 3rd guidance. How about it? <laughs> yeah, and you, well, you know, if you go to, um, I was actually around Christmas time, I walked into Old Navy and they had a bunch of masks in the child section, which made my stomach flip. Um, and I took a picture of the back, not that I don't already know what it's going to say, just to show the general population, it clearly says it cannot protect you against airborne illnesses. Well, why are you wearing them? Why are we wearing, like, what more do people need to see? They, it's like this cognitive dissonance has kicked in to where the whole virtual signal signaling exists to where okay but the large droplets okay i will give you that but what you don't understand because the media is not allowing you to hear it is the number one way that um airborne illnesses spread it's through aerosolization look i don't know about you but i don't spit into other people's mouths and they don't spit into mine it's just it's my 10 month old daughter if i'm holding her on my hip and she sneezes in my face. Most human beings don't do that, and especially not nowadays. Everyone's you know far apart from each other. It, it, the the ubiquitous spread that everyone's panicked about that nothing has worked to stop it is not because people are spitting into each other's mouths. It's obviously the aerosols. Everyone knows that this is a no brainer, 
And it's still like they're, you know, it's like when I was a kid, we used to have these record players, you know, those old big records. And I would climb up, climb up and take the needle and scratch the records. I thought it was fun. <laughs> and and then forever, those records would be broken. And when, you know, it's my 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 father's old John Denver uh, records. <laughs> I'll just never forget on we're leaving on a jet plane. That song, it would get stuck <laughs> right there. It's like they're just, no, not without a mask. It, You're not going it, anywhere it, on a plane. You, you, no. need, you need a mask. You need a mask. It's like no matter. Matter what, it, it, you know, it reminded me every time the Palestinians would blow things up and be, this is why we need the two state solution. And then they'd commit more terrorism. Well, this is why we need two state solution. And it, you can never get around it. But now it's worse than that. Now they're literally, I thought it was a, it was like a, a spoof, like the Babylon Bee or the Onion type of joke with the double masking. So I thought it was a joke, but now in the Manhattan federal court system in the courthouses there, you have to walk in with two of them. So A, that's a, 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 a pretty blatant admission that one wasn't working. But could you again speak to us? Doesn't this violate? Isn't this the most sophomoric way of using PPE? You can't just randomly say, hey, I'm going to double. They're designed for certain ways. Doesn't the second one ruin the fit of the first one? It absolutely does. But these homemade masks and cloth masks and all these masks don't even have a tight fit. And the problem is, is like you just stated, in the process of them trying to be more tyrannical, they've proved people like me right. Of course, these masks don't work. Oh, well, we better wear two. We better wear three. Well, we know it is a fact. That's why medical clearances exist, that these masks can, can decrease oxygen content by up to 20%. That's why in the workplace, we never have people in these respirators for long periods of time without doing work or rotation or allowing breaks. So, 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 uh, Kristen, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. We're almost out of time, but I want to get this. A lot of people spit back at me. Well, Daniel, well, how could you say both? If it cuts off oxygen, then isn't it cutting off the virus? The reason it is causing oxygen deprivation, and it can, is because when you are covering your face and mouth with a mask or respirator, if it's not specifically designed to have exhalation valves, you know, the one that everyone's banning, you are rebreathing your <laughs> gaseous waste. You are impeding your proper gaseous exchanges. And that's the problem. Wow. When you are prolonged wearing a mask, the moisture from your ex ex exhaling, the moisture from the environment that you're wearing it in, it takes your ability to get oxygen through the mask. That's why in healthcare settings, even people in N95s or surgical masks, they have to change them out. They have a max, 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 max rating of six to eight hours. That's why I had my medical... Uh, people that I worked with wearing them no longer than five. And that was only during surgery. So it, yes, it, I get where people are trying to say that, but they're incorrect because again, impedes gaseous exchanges and you cake the inside of the mask. I have teachers posting pictures of mucus, boogers, blood on the inside of these masks because they're not being washed. And when you wash your homemade mask, oh my God. You're, you're invalidating its ability to its breathability. You know, Kristen, we didn't even, we've gone 50 minutes and we still didn't even get into that. The All the diseases that they could spread, especially among children, the childhood development. If you could just quickly talk about um, development, one of the things that, that scares the heck out of me, and I pray to God that, that we get salvation um, soon before she grows up, but my 10-month-old baby... So it's kind of remarkable. It's a remarkable age where they start really moving around, mm -hmm. but more than the physical abilities is their cognitive abilities. Uh, there, there's a period of time around nine months or so where they go from being like just a dead rock. Like, you know, I mean, they're just an infant. Like there's just kind of nothing. There's not a lot of expression there to like, whoa, 
they have a presence where it's not just the moving because I went away for a week on a trip with my audience and my wife said, you don't understand. It's like she really changed and she really did. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she like has these faces and makes these like monkey expressions to you and almost becomes a toddler overnight. And, you know, I, I just read a good article in Scientific American about this, even though they still say you have to wear a mask, but then they indict masks, but then say you have to wear it. And one of the points they make is that around eight months is where they really start obsessively, and I see this more than ever, looking at your lips, following your facial expressions, and that is their development. What in God's name is masking a bunch of adults and then kids starting at two, and they'll probably go down to one. What is that going to do to childhood development, speech development, language, behavioral all that stuff. Well, real quick, you know, I have two daughters, 16 and five, so I'm exactly what you're talking about. So when you're putting children in masks, they will, like I said, you can have decreased oxygen. The problem is, is everyone thinks that it's not decreased oxygen because you'd fall out right away. No, it happens over time. It's a chronic issue, not acute necessarily. So every day, these children have been wearing masks in school for eight hours. And the problem is, is this is a especially elementary age children, this is the prime time where their brain is developing. It, when you have oxygen deprivation every day, it adds up and it's affecting the front brain, the back part of your brain, decision-making. And like you said, children learn through all their senses, through expression, through watching, reading lips, your body language. We are creating a culture of children who are going to be socially awkward, have long-term impacts, of asphyxia issues, oxygen deprivation that cannot be reversed. But the most important to me when we're talking about health effects is mental because no disrespect to teachers, they're strong armed to push these mask mandates. But we have children who go home and they hear their parents say masks don't work, we don't wanna wear masks, which are facts. But they go to school and they're forced to comply with something they don't consent to or they will be shamed or harmed or they'll kill grandma. What are we doing to our children where we're teaching them to just, you know, it's like fight or flight mode. Just sit there, shut up and color, wear your mask. Yes. What else are these children going to be groomed to do that they know is wrong? Because we have a huge problem in this country with sex trafficking. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's that. That's a terrific point. And, and again, we just barely scraped the surface. We're going to have to do a part two. Kristen, this has been really enlightening. And folks, I'm way out of time. We went over an hour just because this was a very special briefing. We needed this. Um, as I'm signing off here, I'm heartbroken. I'm seeing that Rush Limbaugh has passed away. Um, totally crushed. Oh, my gosh. But we will have thoughts on that tomorrow. Um, you know, may God console his family and, and really all of us that that are in the radio and podcasting business, walk in his shoes, um, really shaken by that. But but folks, take this news to your school board, your state legislators, your county commissioners. Take notes Write down the five, six bullet points of points that Kristen has made. There's a lot more where that came from. Let me know if you have questions for her. You're in your own situation, whether you're an employee somewhere in a school and you have OSHA ADA questions, PPE questions, we could send them on to Kristen. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us today. Looking forward to having you back. And folks, we will see you all same time, same place here tomorrow. 